Welcome to the Sports Epreneur Podcast, the podcast where sports and entrepreneurship collide, a Kessource production. In this episode, I chat with John Balcom, founder of Third Wind Group and author of the new book, Three Win Sponsorship. We discuss shifting mindsets, sports marketing, and diving headfirst into creating content. This episode exists because of CadSource. CadSource is your content team. You know how many business leaders need help communicating their story? That's what we do. Content strategy, creation, and distribution for business leaders. This provides opportunities, relationships, and a platform for you and your business. Why do we do this? Because at CadSource, we exist to help you create and share amazing content. And yes, you should have a podcast. We'll help you. Learn more by visiting kezcontent.com. John, I saw in your book, you talk about if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I think that is a great line in the sports world, in the media world, because a lot of things operate as if we're living 10, 20, 30 years ago and things that worked very well. I mean, I, I could go probably down a list of, you know, for example, referees or broadcasting the actual games and the, the commentary that exists in sporting events. And and it goes on and on. That list goes on and on. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. But I think you saw something in the sports media landscape that where it is this, if it ain't broke, don't fix it mentality. And you're here to possibly change that, to talk about it, to open up conversations, to see where can we get organizations thinking differently about it. But talk to us a little bit about that. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Eric. And if you just look at the growth in the sports industry, right? If you just look at the dollar amounts and revenue that the leads are bringing in, that you know, you look at the contracts that players are getting. If you look just at the health of the sports industry, everything's going up and to the right. And with with that, I think it's it's easy to get complacent and think, oh, you know what? If we keep doing our events this way, if we keep doing our sponsorship deals this way, if we keep you know, doing our community activations a certain way, everything will, will keep going up and to the right. And while I don't necessarily have evidence that it's not going to keep going up and to the right, I think the sports industry really needs to look at changing consumer behaviors. And a lot of indicators show that it isn't necessarily broke, but we should be careful before it does get broke, right. if you will. Yes. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Well, and you have a quote that you that you mentioned in your book, and it's it's by Neil Duffy, and it talks about how sports has become fat and lazy. And I think that applies, right? It's 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 saying the same thing in a different way, and it's being very direct to to where sports are. What was it about that specific line that stood out to you? Did, did that hit you across, or did you have to like kind of think through it some, or was it? Yeah, I totally am on board with the fact that this. Sports is becoming fat and lazy. Yeah, Neil is a, a great guy. And, and, and that quote jumped out to me too when, when I talked to him for the book. Neil Duffy comes from Octagon and he had run Octagon, the, the sports marketing agency in Europe, Middle East, and Africa, I believe, mm-hmm. for many years. But he transitioned out to really go, you know, do his own thing and really drive this idea of purpose into the business of sports. So he, he and I really saw eye to eye on that. And the reason he told me that sports is getting fat and lazy is he saw the same thing I was seeing, which is sports marketing deals have been done pretty much the same way for many years, right? 
the, the agencies that are operating big sponsorship deals, either on the activation side or on the sourcing side, are doing pretty much the same things with the exception of you know, integrating digital marketing and, and social media into deals a lot more. Everything pretty much looked like the same. But, but Neil and I believe that this idea of bringing purpose or social impact into the sports business is going to be crucial if leagues and teams and athletes want to continue to grow. And we can talk a little bit more about why that is. I think a lot of it goes back to the, the consumer and the behaviors of the consumer today. But I think that quote from Neil was awesome because it was kind of like a shot across the bow. Yeah. Like, oh, damn. Yeah. Like, gonna, That's a big gonna one. Your ass, <laughs> you're going to get your ass kicked if you don't pay attention to this. That's right. There's multiple layers to this thing. And, and, and I want to bring up a point. It's not about necessarily purpose, but about, let's say, branding or you talk about consumers hate ads and you're 100% right. I love football. I love professional football. I love college football. There's, there's issues with the sports, with all sports, in my opinion, especially football. I mean, we, we know we, whether it's concussions, whether it's refereeing, like I mentioned before, whether it's the structure of the sport and talk about college football or NFL, you know, there's a lot of different things going on out there. One of the things that I dislike most about the sport is how long it takes to play a game. And if I'm saying that, I know people in younger generations or very young generations, I have kids like, they don't need to take in the full game, right? They don't have the need uh-huh. to sit there for three hours. Well, let's talk about college football. These games take over four hours. We're going to talk, we're going to start a game at eight o'clock. This game might not end till after midnight on the East Coast. People are tuning out, or you're going to watch the game at noon and it's going to end at 3 30. That's your entire afternoon, right? You get the morning and night, but there's problems with that. And the amount of ads that are being thrown in front of us, it's overwhelming and it's boring, right? So you can go and sit and you could go to Europe and you can watch a soccer game. I get it. In the United States, soccer hasn't taken off yet, but we've talked about this on the podcast. I think soccer's got enormous potential for multiple reasons in the United States. Now, the biggest issue they have is it's not in the culture yet because that's just generations. You go watch Premier League and you can see when they score a goal, like people are you know, holding their kids and hugging, it's like ingrained in their culture. But if you go watch NBC's, you know, Premier League mornings, you watch a game that starts at seven, that game's over by nine in the morning. And yes, there's commercials before, there's commercials at the end, and there's a little bit commercials in the middle. But what you see on it is you got jerseys with the logo on it. You got logos all around the stadium. They're doing things differently. The NBA's taking a page out of it, right? Because the NBA is now putting it a little bit on their jersey. You got the Wish logo on the Los Angeles Lakers jerseys. And I get it. There's fans in this country that don't like that. Whatever. Because there's got to be a different way. Because what you're doing is exactly what you said. Consumers hate ads. How do we get over that? We'll start reading how much money that Manchester United gets from Chevrolet putting that Chevrolet logo on the front of their jersey, right? It's a big money deal. So again, we're not getting into purpose yet. We're just talking about you know, just advertising and branding and all those different things. But what that does is I think it's just these sports are taking too long because they have to fill the space with ads. So that's why these games take too long. And I get it. In football, you need time to adjust things. Like just imagine there's a turnover or there's a touchdown and you got to switch things up and there's sudden change in the sport where you need the coaches and the players. There's so many things that are happening on a football field. I get all that. At the same time, the games simply take too long. And sports football, I believe, is becoming fat and lazy in some ways because of that. 
college football ratings have gone down, I believe, or just the attendance has gone down, I should say. But I want to touch on that before we get down to the purpose thing. And do you follow European soccer? Do you watch that? Have you, you know, I'm sure you've seen what's going on with the NBA with the, you know, they're starting to put the logos on the jerseys, but from someone with experience in the background and you like paying attention to a lot of these different things, I want your input on that. Eric, there's so many things I, I could hit on, on on what you just covered. And I'm not a huge Premier League fan, but I, I did get some exposure working with both Chelsea FC and the Premier League back when I was at EverFi, my previous employer. But I first want to touch about, you talk about consumers hate ads. I mean, I could not be more passionate about the fact that the traditional advertising over you know, broadcast is, is just dying out. I'll tell you, I was, I was back home. I'm, I'm from DC. I was in Bethesda, Maryland, where my folks live. And my older brother, Matt, was, was in town. We were talking a little bit about the book and kind of the stuff I was working on. He said, I'm just trying to avoid advertising at all costs these days. Yeah. Right? And, and think about it too, Eric. What are some of the most popular products right now? What do they all have in common? Netflix no advertising. Spotify, no advertising. HBO, Disney Plus, no advertising. So people are literally paying a premium for products so that they can be exposed to fewer ads, right? Yep. Now, if that's the case, then why aren't we innovating around that consumer behavior in the sports marketing and and advertising space, right? So... So to go into the, the next phase in terms of like, all right, well, what can we do about this? Well, I just, we, we have to innovate, right? We like innovate or die. I think you hear all the time in Silicon Valley. I think that it's time in the next decade is going to be all about how do you take a page out of the NBA's book, right? With the Jersey patch sponsors or, or the premier league with what they're doing with Chevrolet and Manchester United. I am like a, firm believer that in order to kind of get consumers' attention to to you know answer the question, why should you know a consumer give a shit about my company? It's all about purpose and actually investing in the fans community, investing in the things and the causes that the fan cares about. And that's really core to my whole three-win philosophy. And we can dive into that a little bit more. But wouldn't you wouldn't you agree that you know it feels like we've been stagnant on the on the kind of innovation side with sports marketing? Oh, hundred um, percent. Yeah, I mean, because the thing that I believe in most with all of this, and it, it applies to your community, applies to your purpose, and every brand or every person's going to have some different purpose, right, or different idea that they want to get out there. It all centers to me around content, right? So if you have a way to share a story. And that it, content could be many things. It could be you and I chatting on this podcast. It could be a blog. It could be a conversation that you have with somebody else. It could be a uh, keynote speech that you give. It could be an Instagram post. It could be you sharing and engaging with someone. There's so many different ways to do it. Content allows you to deliver that message. And I think athletes are starting this process. I think a lot of it's the upper echelon athlete. I think other athletes perhaps maybe think they don't have time for that and it's not for them. Hey, they're not Kevin Durant. They're not LeBron James. They're not JJ Watt. They don't, they can't do that. But you're starting to see athletes do it. We had uh, Jeff Atnella, who's a goalie for the Portland Timbers. And he realized he's like, he's got stories to share. He's writing children's books. He wants to share this stuff. So he created a podcast, right? There's disruptions in it because there's only so much time. And then he got injured. So things get slowed down. 
but he's able to share this message. His purpose is he wants to help children read. He wants to help them create new stories for themselves, right? There's so many different ways to look at it. I think content is the core of it all, whether it's coming again from the brand, the company, or the individual and their story and their brand, right? So I'm not sure how you see that as far as content is concerned and how that relates to the ways that to develop purpose. I know you've talked about you know, the hurricane in Houston, I guess it's 2017 now, or a couple of years ago, where JJ Watt, you know, steps up and donates a lot of money and brings a lot of awareness to this. This is this is a icon in the Houston community and really the NFL community. And here he is showcasing this. Whether he's doing it for his betterment of his own brand, the bottom line is he's helping people out drastically. And that can't be denied. So how can companies do more of that, right? Especially in the sports world where they have so much attention on them already. What an awesome way to give back to your communities. Is that, is that what you've seen? Is that an example? Because I know you talk about the hurricane. In JJ Watch, is one example. There's a lot of different things that are going on out there, but your take on that. Yeah. The, one of the concepts that I've really landed on is this idea of you know, the, the talent in the industry or the, the professional athlete really as the quarterback of social issues. Right. Obviously, Colin Kaepernick about three years ago was a massive one of him really taking a stand around the Black Lives Matter movement on, you know, preventing police brutality. But just in the last year, think about the US women's national team, right? Like, think about as they were going on their World Cup run, they were also fighting uh, the the US Soccer Federation for, for more equal pay. And so you know, I think the challenge for brands when they're getting into purpose-driven marketing is that you know a brand isn't a human, right? And so for a brand to get behind a cause, I think it's more effective to partner with a human who, who people already love and respect to then communicate the cause that you're supporting, right? So Megan Rapinoe, uh, I think, has, has really been the leader in this over the past year of her personally taking a stand first, not really caring what would come afterwards, right? It was risky for her to kind of put herself out there for equal pay and, and women's rights, or perhaps you know, not as risky as it might have been 10 years ago. But look what's happened for her in the, in, you know, in the aftermath of winning the World Cup. All of a sudden, sponsors are lining up to, to work with her and lining up to work with the U.S. US women's national team. So it, it, the first step was that the, the players themselves kind of took a stand and were, were quarterbacking the issue of women's empowerment. Then the brands came in and said, we love that. We support that. We believe in that too, right? So that's how I see this playing out. And I think we're going to see more and more talent in the industry take big social stands and then be rewarded through these endorsement deals. It's an amazing time where now as an athlete, you can take a big stand for a cause that's important to you and get rewarded financially for that. So uh, how do you do that effectively? I mean, that's, that's where the rubber meets the road. Right. Does it have to be a social issue? Can it be like I was talking about before that if you want to stand up for something in your community or are you speaking specifically on, like you just said, the Megan Rapinoe, Colin Kaepernick's of the world? It's going to be different, right? I, I think the the biggest thing is that if you want to 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 do a local campaign and you want to work in 
just an education. Now, something that pretty much all of us agree on is, is needed. Uh, if you want to work in education in the local community where you're from or where you're playing, that's awesome. And you should 100% do that. And I got to work with uh, Brandon Carr. He's a, he's a cornerback for the Baltimore Ravens. He has a foundation that's all about education and early childhood literacy and health and well-being. And, you know, he's not a guy who has a big national platform and he's not someone who is getting all the, the attention that a Rapino or a Kaepernick is getting. But, you know, we, we worked with him when I was at EverFi and we brought a health and wellness curriculum into schools in Baltimore where he was playing. And, you know, he, he probably reached 20, 30 kids, you know, with this curriculum. But that is that is also powerful right you know like that's super powerful to to impact those lives on a more personal basis so and and i don't even necessarily think he had brands get involved with that it was mostly you know coming from from his own pocket but i would not be surprised to see brandon doing more over time and kind of leaning into that and then potentially working with brands who also believe in education right. and you know health and well-being for young people. Right. No, and I could see that because I don't think everyone has a big stance on the social issue, right? If we see it, we could probably name the players that have took a stand. You know, Eric Reed in Carolina, he was, you know, in the Colin Kaepernick camp where he had similar feelings and, and, and wanted to address that publicly. A lot of players, you know, Cam Newton here in Charlotte, I know it's a big deal because they have a big decision to make. Do they keep Cam Newton? Well, there's a lot of people in the local community don't want to lose him because he's such a big influence and he's so giving, you know, through his foundation that, you know, people might not see that on television, for example. They just see his, the way he plays the game, but they don't realize behind the scenes, you know, what he's doing, how much he's contributing. And the, yes, a lot of that is, is his own money, but he's got a lot of organizations that are part of that as well that are contributing. So I could see... I definitely see the social issue as an opportunity to really make a stand and get national recognition and what that could possibly lead to. But I also see it as the opportunity to just really what the individual believes in. Because like you said, brands will align themselves with that. They're saying, what that player's saying, we agree with. We want to partner together and we want to do more with it. And I just wanted to see if that's something that you... It sounds like you agree with that. Yes, the bigger social issues are the ones that can drive incredible polarizations, right? Either way that's going to get them on the show to get them on the podcast to get them where they need to be to get that crazy attention to where the huge companies of the of this country, you know, Disney, Nike, they're going to be paying attention to it. But I do think it doesn't even have to be local, right? It could just be a player and then can go be back to, to different parts of this country to say that they agree with those stances that they're taking that don't have to necessarily be social, it could just be for the betterment of whatever people agree with that because even if there's only a thousand people or even 50 people, that could be making a difference. And that doesn't have to be the best player on the team. It could be a backup cornerback on the Carolina Panthers or Baltimore Ravens. It could be whoever that is. So I just wanted to see if that is something that what you're creating and what you're thinking about and putting out there is that's also a part of it. Absolutely. I'm really just in the very beginning stages of building out basically a, a sponsorship marketing agency and, and really trying to take this concept of a, th a three-win mindset in marketing deals you know, into the marketplace. But I think it, there's going to be a different answer for, for every individual athlete. And it, there's going to be a different right and wrong 
way to to pull off three one deals for every brand, right? Like when you're talking locally, I don't think you necessarily want to go into issues in communities where you know it's going to be a polarizing issue and start backing an individual, a professional athlete, let's say, who believes in something that's different from what your target audience believes in. Right. That is where I think the the issue will will come up because the, the the target audience will say, why why would I you know work with your business? Why would I buy your products if you believe this and I believe that? Right. What we're trying to do with this mindset is where is it that we can find common ground? Where is it that we as a company can invest in this cause, right? That our audience cares about. And then back to what you're saying about content and storytelling. How can we invest first? You know, walk walk the talk and then talk the talk. You know, create the, the story around, hey, we are XYZ Bank. We care about personal finance and making sure every kid in our town understands personal finance. And we're teaming up with local NFL player blank, right? And and because of our partnership together, every kid in our in our town or our city is going to have access to this important education. That is what I think I'm really pushing for. Yeah. Is that story? Think about it this way: if your brand, if your company telling that story, the worst case scenario is that you educate everyone in your town about personal finance, and you don't get any customers. If you're doing a traditional sponsorship and you, it's just like every other sponsorship you've ever seen, that's more like a waste of marketing budget. But if you apply a, a, a three-win mindset to a deal like that, you know the worst case scenario is you, you invest in the community. But the best case scenario is that you become a beloved company or brand in that community where you're investing. I, I just don't see where the downside is in having that mindset. And I'd be surprised if we don't see this really take off in the next five to 10 years. The mindset that you talk about, it, it applies to our conversation right now as an example. Maybe not from a what we're doing for the community per se. Just if you and I have a podcast and we're talking about marketing, right? And mm-hmm. I have you on the podcast. Well, I get an opportunity to talk with you. Someone who's written a book is building a business, has incredible passion for what they do, has done research, has insights that perhaps I don't have. I get to ask you questions. I get to learn from it. We get to have this engaging conversation. I get to think, you get to think, whatever. So we post it out there. We never talk again. No one ever listens to the podcast. Let's just say that's what happens. That's not what's going to happen, right? But let's say that's what it was. Right. I've had the experience of talking to you. I've learned from you. I've learned about different things. I might come up with different things off of what you said. That's a mindset that I believe is like, can you measure the return on that? No, you cannot. You know, And I hear from a lot of business leaders, well, what's my return on investment? It's always thrown around. Where's my ROI? Okay. Well, <laughs> how do you monetize or how can you calculate what the return is on this conversation that I'm having with John right now? You maybe can't measure that. Does that make it less impactful? Absolutely not. This could be the driving conversation behind who knows what. And the more of those types of conversations you have, and who knows what it leads to, right? Because it could lead to something else. It could lead to, man, you enjoyed the conversation so much. You introduced us to someone else. 
Next thing you know, we're working with that person. That's not the end goal, but it might happen because of people engaging and having conversations about things. And I think it's a lot, it's, it's different, but it's related to what you're talking about. It is a mindset shift to be able to say, I'm going to spend some time doing this. I might not be able to exactly measure what my return is, but I know this is working because I can see it, right? Because we can talk about, well, all advertisers you know, in the history of the world can measure the return. No, they can't, right? Because right. you can't sit there and say at Mercedes or BMW to say, well, they were on GQ, they were in GQ magazine on page 15, and they know how many people showed up to their dealership to test drive their car because of their advertising. They cannot tell. They know how many people perhaps picked up the magazine, you know, but they don't even know if they spent any time looking at it. They can do focus exactly. study groups all they want. It's BS, right? They don't know. And so that's what I'm talking about. So there's a, it's regardless of what it is, there's a mindset shift going on here just in this conversation and just in what you're talking about and how brands can think differently about engaging. And not only that, helping someone else win. Because the other thing that I think that could happen is someone might listen to this podcast and they might get something out of it. And they never tell you nor me about that. But they had a mindset shift. They learned something from this or motivated or inspired them to do something or think differently about something. There's a third win out there that we're not even, right? That's we possibly will never know about. And it's no different than if this athlete, let's say, partners with this brand about some issue that they're very passionate about and they help someone out there, what's wrong with that? Isn't that the better way to do things? And that's what you're talking about. Now, I get it. There's social issues out there and that's very polarizing, but that's kind of why I went to the point of like, if there's a catastrophe and someone wants to help out, because of their brand and they realize they can bring more attention to that to then bring more. What's wrong with that? Why can't they do that? And why shouldn't brands be thinking about it? And like you said, going back, like I said, going back to the content piece of it, how do you then share that? How do you share it in a way that's not so in your face about, look at me, look what I did? Because people don't like that and people are afraid to share that. But if you share it authentically, I believe it can make, it can do a lot of good. But but going back to like just the core piece of it, it is a mindset. It's a mindset shift. And then it becomes the mindset of what you're going to act on going forward and not getting lost in all these metrics. But I get it because a lot of organizations, they have a CMO and the CMO has got to answer to somebody. And their first question they're going to be asked is, how much money do we make off of that campaign? And they'll be like, we didn't make any money. What do you mean we didn't make any money? Well, we did this and it did a lot of good. But I think people are really happy with it and be like, congratulations, you're fired because you can't explain that. And that's the, <laughs> that's the mindset. And a lot of these large businesses, and they're doing very well. So I guess who am I to judge them? But I do think that there is this, there's, it's obviously happening. So I think it'd be interesting to hear from you, like where, besides the athletes, brands that have shifted into this mindset already, because I know we know it's happening. So share with us some, you know, some mindset shifts that have happened with companies that people would, would recognize. Sure. And, and to go back to your previous point really quick, Eric, the fact that there might be a third one out there from this podcast and we may never hear about it. That's totally fine. The, the, the important part about this is the intention. Like the intention is for us that you and me to benefit right from this conversation. And hopefully one other person out there listens to this and, and gets something out of it. But it doesn't matter. Our intention is good. And that is the literally, I, I, I talk about five principles of effective 3-1 sponsorship and intention is the first one. Yep. So to, to talk about a brand that I think is doing this really well, I, I studied uh, US Bank, which is the fifth largest bank in the US. 
and I talked with a woman named Anya Spanaski, who is the really the point person from GMR Marketing for US Bank. And the really cool story with them is that they really reinvented how they approach sponsorship. They, they basically stopped what they were spending money on. They said, how can we tie, you know, how can we use sponsorship in a way that will actually be effective, right? To actually land with our target markets. And I think they're headquartered in Minnesota, but they're really a, a national bank with, with kind of a, a Midwestern focus. And US Bank had this community program called Community Possible that they had built out separately from their sports marketing portfolio. But when, when GMR Marketing started working with US Bank, they challenged them to think about, all right, how do you tie in your sports sponsorship with your community outreach platform, right? How would you do that? So what they, they first did, obviously, you, 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 you know, football fans will know that the Viking Stadium is US Bank Stadium, right? So they got the naming rights, and that was a huge deal. Right, multi-million dollar deal. But as far as activating that deal, they then tied it into football, sports, and getting youth active. Right, so they they built up. I, I, I'm going to get this wrong, but but basically they they built up these things called places to play in partnership with the Vikings. So it was a Vikings U.S. Bank partnership to bring more spaces for young people to play and exercise and be well in the Twin Cities, right? So this was a, a small part of a much larger sponsorship. But think of how much different that mindset is than just saying, oh, uh, well, you know, we're putting our, our logo on the stadium and, you know, X number of people are coming in right. to the, the Vikings games every year and all these other. And we don't really know if any customer cares that we're sponsoring the stadium. So they really went all in on this idea of bridging the gap or, or, or fusing their sponsorship with their community relations in a way that I thought was really cool and really innovative. And you know, if you pick up the book, you'll see that they kind of are doubling down on that. And the interesting quote from Anya was, look, you need to put the consumer at the center of your sponsorship deal. And I think that that the community aspect, when you're literally investing in the target markets, you know, community into their children, I think that is a great example of putting the consumer at the center. And you know, I, I'm giving U.S. Bank some shine, but I thought they were a, a great example that I studied over the past year or so. No, I'd agree with that. And so, when you were studying U.S. Bank, was that for the purposes of writing your book? Yeah. So it was, I, I, obviously I, I cast a wide net for stories that would reinforce or help prove my thesis about this next wave of sponsorship. And a lot of it was, you know, reaching out to my network, reaching out to this community of people that I know who work in this space. And that's how I landed with, with Anya at GMR Marketing. And then she told me the story about US Bank. You set out to write this book. And as you just explained, you did research on this book. You spent time. You talked to people. I'm sure there's a lot of stories that never ended up in the book. Just to set out... Anyone can sit down and write a book, right? It's become easier and easier. But to, to spend the time and the effort... I've seen your book, right? It's not some just short thing. This, there's a lot of thought that went into your book. And there's a lot of thought that continues to go into your book. And there's a lot of stories you're sharing from it. Why set out to write a book in the first place? 
Great question, Eric. And it's kind of surreal now that I'm on the other side of it, but it's an interesting story because I'm, you know, like I mentioned, I'm, I'm from DC. I also stayed in DC for college and went to Georgetown and I've stayed in touch with, with Georgetown. And I've observed this professor of entrepreneurship who I didn't have as a student who I knew named Eric Kester. And he did this crazy thing two years ago where he basically changed his entrepreneurship class to be basically, I'm going to have all my students write a book class, right? As a way of teaching entrepreneurship. And his whole, his whole theory is if you have this creation event, right? Whether you publish a book or you launch a podcast, it's an amazing way to learn the skills that you need to be an entrepreneur. And to make a long story short, he, he actually was able to have his students, about half of his students in his first class, published like within nine months of first entering his class. And then he realized, oh, there's this, there's something bigger here, right? Like anybody can have a creation event and it can help catapult them towards something in their career that they want. Maybe they want to be an entrepreneur. Maybe they have a dream job and the book is a way of building credibility and standing out in the stack of resumes. So Eric, or Professor Kester, he took the idea from the book class and then he broadened it out into what he calls Creator Institute, where his whole purpose is to help creators create, right? And I got invited, he invited me to join his first group of, we'll call it, you know, young alumni from Georgetown. And then it kind of broadened out from there to other young people and really people of all ages who wanted to be a part of this. So we had a community. I joined a community of first-time authors and we were getting instruction. We were getting kind of guidance. We had access to a publisher. But I had this, this kind of feeling like in the work I had been doing at EverFi, I had this feeling that I was kind of looking around the corner and seeing the next phase of, of sports marketing, right? And I can get into, if you want, some of the work that we had done at EverFi that made me feel like this three-win sponsorship was, was kind of the, the next phase. but. In the work I had been doing at EverFi, I kind of had this concept like, oh, like there's got to be something bigger here. And that's why I decided to write the book, was just to dive in and, and really spend time researching, reading, thinking about, and then putting my own ideas onto paper about how we could do you know, sports entertainment marketing better or differently, or, or in, a, in a way that's making a better impact on, on people and the planet. So. It's been an amazing experience. It really took me all of 2019, but it has been an amazing learning experience. And I feel like now I'm just eager to, to get onto the next project. You yeah, know, you talk kind of, about once it. You, once you put it out there. Absolutely. Know? We'll have conversations like this, but you had a fascination, obviously, with something and dug deeper. What, what's really cool in what you said is your professor who at Georgetown had you know had made a change, right? He's probably teaching a certain way or had a certain program for his curriculum. And then he says, well, he wants to write a book, but he kept thinking about it. He said, there's something bigger. I mean, if we look at something, right, if something like if it ain't broke, don't fix it mentality has been education, right? Just look around and, and you see that happening. But here you have a professor who isn't playing by that mindset. He's having a mindset shift to say, well, no, no, we want to do something different. Oh, and even when he came up with this incredible idea of everyone writing a book, he took it to the next level. He's continuing to think through things. And I'm not saying he's the only one doing it, but clearly, he is doing it and he's having an impact on, on the students and on the alumni. And I think it's, it's an amazing thing to see. That's exciting. 
you know, I have kids. It's exciting to see that there are professors out there that are doing it this way. And, you know, those are the types of professors you want teaching your kids or teaching yourself. And I think there's a lot to learn from that because if he can have a mindset shift, if Georgetown can have this mindset shift, well, then I'm assuming brands can too, if companies can too, and athletes can too, and the people in and around that world can do that as well. So I think that's a key point to hone in on to see these different mindset shifts that are going on. And obviously you, you know, even coming out of school and going down this path and realizing that there's something that you see. And how do you come across that? Well, you're paying attention. You're getting involved. You're showing up. You come across this fascination. I'm sure you've had many other ones along the way. This one, for whatever reason, grabbed your attention. You said, I'm going all in with this. I'm going to start having more and more and more conversations. So then you can set out, put this book out there and now have more conversations after that. You've already said the word think multiple times. I think that's a key component to this is you think this is where it's going. You think these are the ideas. It doesn't mean it can't change. You can continue to refine along the way because it's going to change. Things are moving fast. Information's changing hands. You're going to come across something new that you didn't think about before and you could apply that to the principles that you've already learned and you've already put out there. So that's a fascinating way to go through it. And it's a fascinating way to... To, I think it's important to get behind the story, right? Behind the curtains as to what was John thinking when he wrote this book? Why did he write this book? <laughs> it's not easy, right? And I, I think that's that's great of you to be able to do these things and to set on this journey in, in a billion-dollar industry, right? I mean, there, there is opportunity in sports. And clearly, you have a love of sports, right? Before we got on here, we were talking about football. We were talking about the Washington Redskins and their, you know, their hopeful quarterback in Dwayne Haskins and you know, I know you're a Capitals fan and I'm assuming you're a Nationals fan. You have all these things going on. You could have a love of sports. And I just talked about this on a, a recent podcast with Rob Cressy. And we were talking about how loving sports and then getting into that business is one way to do it, but probably not the ideal way to do it. Perhaps that passion brought you in, but there's way more to it. I want you to talk on that a little bit is saying, did you just get into sports because you love sports or did just was there more to it to then get in and around this world of, this crazy world of being a sports fan, let's say. You know what, Eric? Much like I'm sure many, many young people and certainly young men, I thought one day I was either going to be playing in the big leagues, you know, in Major League Baseball, or I was going to be the general manager of a Major League Baseball team. But unfortunately, you know, reality sets in, you know, you don't make your varsity baseball team. And you also then realize there's only 30 general manager jobs in Major League Baseball. So it's like, all right, well, Okay, maybe I, I don't take that path. That's that's the you know point one percent actually get there. So I do love sports. You know, uh, obviously it's been a good run in the past couple of years for for DC teams, and so I had that love of sports. But then I also, in my time at Georgetown, really became passionate about social entrepreneurship. This idea that business can be both profitable and can create value for people who are who are less fortunate, it can create value in a sustainable way for the planet. So my journey has really been over the last five or six years, like fusing, you know, melding those two passions together in, okay, I love sports. I really am interested in business and in marketing, but also in, in businesses that have a, a bigger purpose. So how do I fuse those together? And I was fortunate. I really landed at EverFi at the perfect time. Because when I got to EverFi, and, and to give some context, EverFi is an education technology company, and they deliver 
courses to schools for free, and they teach kids all kinds of important critical life skills. But then they partner. They basically, it kind of feels like they invented the three-lens sponsorship era because they partner with brands who sponsor the education. And you know, with that as the backdrop, Everfi already had a deal in place with the NHL when I got there and with the NFL for that matter, really operating these large-scale education programs on behalf of the leagues. But then I also saw you know, deals with, with brands and teams integrating EverFi education into the activation of their deals. So I was really kind of living this book before I was writing this book, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I, I really felt like now I've landed at a place where I, I can just r- sprint, you know, I can run really hard at this concept because I'm, I'm passionate about sports and I'm passionate about businesses that have purpose. So now it's a matter of like, all right, what do we build to, to bring that to life? And I mean, the, the book is one thing, but I feel like there's a lot more to this that, that will come you know, in, the, in the next several years here. Yeah, multiple levels of your, the catalyst, right? The catalyst to start the book, the catalyst to keep going, to continue to sprint. You make another good point I saw somewhere when, when you talk about these organizations, right? That there's employees of these companies, you know, the people that you're looking to recruit, to, to manage, to maintain, to stay at your company for a long time and, and, and be a big piece of whatever it is that that company's building is employees want purpose and meanings in their careers. Isn't it better that when the employee's there, that they're working on something that's just bigger than selling some widget, right? Mm-hmm. Your thoughts on just that component of, you know, it's, it's, it's getting a little bit deeper into this conversation as it relates to now you're impacting the people that actually have set out to work and make your company a better place. Well, yeah, that's a, that's a great question that ties into why take on this three win mindset for your sports marketing. And I think employee retention can absolutely be a reason to, to do this. Nerds like you and I, Eric, will study these these PR uh, firms' reports that they put out. And I think it was Cone Communications put one out about Generation Z. So the generation younger than, than millennials. And Generation Z, the, the statistic about them is that they're basically unanimous in saying that companies should be about something bigger than profits. Right? They should have a purpose bigger than just profits. It's like 93% of Gen Z when surveyed, said this. So if that's the case, how do you expect to attract that talent pool if you're a company, right? If you don't have purpose tied into your business? Now, I I know it's going to be, we're in the airline industry. Like, how do we tie purpose into that? Well, find a way, you know, because this is what the most consumers are saying that they want companies to, to have purpose and they want to work for companies that have purpose. But overwhelmingly, younger consumers are saying, if this company doesn't have purpose, not only am I, am I not going to work for your company, I'm not going to buy your company's products. I'm going to find something that's a, a better alternative that actually aligns with my values, which is, I think the number one thing is the environment and sustainability. And, and so... I don't know. I, I get really fired up about this topic, no, as you can tell. I, I get it. But purpose is kind of the new normal. I picked up Mark Benioff, the, the Salesforce CEO's book, Trailblazer. And he talks about like 
purpose is the new normal and, and it's a, it's a prerequisite for businesses today. So. Well, there's, hey, a, if, there's if a lot of different ways to do it. I mean, you had to make a good point about like the airline industry. Well, look at Southwest, right? They hire someone and they sit them in the middle seat and fly, fly this person all over the country just to talk to the passengers. Where are you going? Why are you going there? And next thing you know, these passengers open up. Of course, they get the rights to say, hey, can we share that on our blog or whatever we do or a video? And they, they get them to sign off on it because they want to. They want to share the story because they're going to visit their great-grandmother that they hadn't seen in 30 or whatever that story is, there's purpose behind it. Southwest is flying these people. And every airline's doing it, but Southwest is the one telling the story. And they're doing it in a way that the passengers are happy to share the story and other people want to consume that story. That is purpose. We are getting you from this place to that place so you can go to that wedding or you could do whatever that might be. And like you just said, if you think about it long enough, you can find ways to have purpose. Maybe your purpose is in helping other brands. I know one of the things that we do here is we work with multiple organizations that are charitably driven organizations, racing for orphans with Down syndrome, push-ups for Parkinson's. I mean, these are people that we work with. We love working with them. And when they send us pictures of their events or we get to go to their events, it's such a unique experience to be a part of that, right? And we're a small business and think about these large organizations and the different things that they can get involved with. So when you say you get fired up about it and you want to talk more about it, absolutely. It makes, it makes a ton of sense because you had this fascination. You want to get deeper into that component of it because you use the word a lot, purpose. Well, you can't just say those words without having some meaning behind it. Actually, not even meaning, having action behind it, right? Totally. And I, I go back to Megan Rapino for, for a second because she said something really smart about this is that companies have a lot of weight that they can throw around, right? She said, said this effectively right when I believe they, that Luna Bar did a, a partnership, uh, an endorsement with the US Women's National Team, and it was centered around kind of leveling the, the pay gap. But she's right. Like Companies of all sizes have resources that they can put to good use to do good, right? Whether it be financial resources, and it's quite literally writing a check to, to fund a cause or an effort. Or it could be skills. Like you just said, you know, in your small business, you can put your, you and your team's skills to good use. Uh, and maybe you're not going to make as much uh, revenue off of working with a, with a nonprofit organization. But at the same time, I don't think, Eric, you went into to business to, to just make a lot of money. Pro- probably, probably not. I'm just going to make a guess. Right. And you probably feel good. And like there's some fulfillment in, in doing something that's, that's bigger than just collecting you know, an invoice you know, from, from one of your clients. Right. So it's pretty awesome that, that we're kind of at... I, I think this, there's an inflection point to where more of this is going to... It's going to snowball, I think. And, and more athletes are going to start leading on issues. More brands are going to jump on board. And I think that it could have a positive kind of domino effect towards, oh, wow, like here's all the potential in the sports and entertainment industry for good. We never even realized there was this much potential, but let's double down on it and let's go tackle big issues. Let's go tackle local issues. Let's, let's think right. about you know, regional issues that we can we can change. These are important things to think about. And it's important to have conversation. One of the downsides, obviously, is when it leads to outrage, which is just all too common right now. But that's not stopping. That shouldn't stop someone from sharing what they want to talk about it. Just do it in a way that's not disingenuous. Meaning, you know, there's a lot of people sharing things out there. 
to get the outrage going. Because if I can get the outrage going, well, then I know I'm going to get it from both sides. I'm going to get the outrage, but that's going to increase attention and I can sell higher ads. Yeah, I can sell right. more expensive ads um, or I'm going to also get the positive side of it. But whatever the issue is, whether you agree with it or disagree with it, if you can have a peaceful conversation about it, I think that's important. These are important topics to think through, whether you agree with them or not. And I think what happens is these things get brought to light. And for a lot of people, it's going to lead to a good conversation. Well, there's also a lot of people out there. It's not going to lead to a good conversation, but that's where you have to somehow control your feed and interact with those that are willing to have that peaceful conversation. But no matter what it is, I think it's very, whether it's political, whether it's community driven or nonprofit or something that's just going on that you're in, that you want to talk about. They're all very important conversations to have. And, you know, I think we both use the word think a lot. And that's what we need to do. We need to be thinking more. We need to be having conversations like this more. I think it helps everybody involved. A lot of this comes from, well, I mean, just talking to you, you have a very level way about you, very calming presence. And just in the conversation, yeah, you get fired up, but your fired up might not be as like off the just <laughs> craziness. So there's there is this calming thing, and you know, and when we went back and forth before this podcast, you shared with me some stuff that you you are a reader of Stoicism. I'm not exactly sure what books you're reading around that, or what you're paying attention to. Whether you know Ryan Holiday's obviously really big and has been for a while. And then you can go to some of the classics like Marcus, Marcus Aurelius and the Meditations book, which is phenomenal. But I would imagine that makes it makes a lot of sense, I guess, that you are a reader and thinker and you follow Stoicism. Tell me about that journey real quick. Yeah. I think my gateway into Stoicism, like many people, was Ryan Holiday okay. and, and the Daily Stoic, probably on Twitter. I started to see it come up into my feed. So I followed through. But yeah, I've really dove into Stoicism in the last six months or so. And the reason why is I, I think that I knew this was going to be a huge challenge to get the book published, start a business. It's not going to be easy. And there's probably going to be a fair amount of stress that goes into pulling this off, even though, as you, you pointed out, I'm a pretty even-keeled guy. And Stoicism really, for me, was about helping me frame my mindset on the day-to-day. And you know, it's amazing. I would encourage any listener to go check out Daily Stoic and, and just read a couple of articles. But it's amazing what you can do if you spend a small amount of time, 15, 20 minutes every day, just reading a little bit of Marcus Aurelius, right? Marcus Aurelius' meditations, or even just reading the emails that Daily Stoic puts out, it will help you set your mindset for the day and realize that there's only so much you can control in life. I think the main things you can control are your, 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 your mindset, your attitude, and your effort. And if you keep that in mind, you're able to let go of like what happens like when you put stuff out. Like I, I published this book. I'm probably not going to sell that many, that many copies, but that's fine. I, I controlled the whole effort part, the input. And we'll see what the output is. But I love the, the stoic mindset of... Like just be a good person and everything else doesn't really matter. And I, I hope that more people get into stoicism because that means more people will also take on the mindset of just be a good person. Everything else will take care of itself. Yeah. Well, there's a lot to be said right now. I mean, just podcasts, you know, we've been talking for about an hour because we started talking before we even hit record here that you can have these long form conversations because so much of 
it was going to these transactional conversations. I talk to you, I ask you a question, I get what I want, we move on or vice versa. But now it's, we could get deeper with things. And this is why I like these long form chats because I really can't get to that question that I just asked you or some of these other questions that, that we talk about without having some frame of reference. For you to say you're in a stoicism and I don't hear you talk, it might not make any sense because I could disagree with it to say, well, clearly you're not because you're all over the place, right? Uh, or <laughs> you're, you're too high, you're too low. And you, you have to have these long-form conversations to truly get an understanding of where someone's coming from and to be an active listener and to do all these. And I think podcasting and reading and listening to books is allowing more and more people the opportunity to learn. You know, it doesn't just have to be in the educational system. It's the self-betterment thing that we talk about, self-learning, where you go out and do it on your own. And and, and it's this, it's your own time. It's your own journey. It's your own way of doing it. And there's a lot of different ways and there's no right or wrong way to do it. It's just taking in more and, and thinking about it more. And, and you know, to have people like you on our podcast, that's why it's so great for me. Like I said before, being selfish, selfishly speaking, is that I get to ask these questions and learn and kind of see where you're coming from and what you're working on and what the industry, what's going on in the industry. It's a lot of fun. And I hope that is for you. And I hope that is for anyone that can possibly listen to this and we continue to tr- strive to be better at it. Uh, there was another book that you mentioned, and that definitely struck chord with me because you mentioned one of your favorite books is How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. And we've talked about it on this podcast before. And I remember seeing that book and I always felt like, oh, that's a weird title. I don't like that book. I don't want to gain people. <laughs> and, I, it, and, and then come to find out, I read it. I'm like, oh my goodness, where has this book been? And then came to find out that my grandfather, who's long since passed, who I admire greatly and is a big part of why I do what I do... It was his book. It was a go-to book of his. And, and, and since then, there's so many other books that we could go down. You know, Obviously, Alyssa, you've mentioned a couple. and There's a lot of classic books and, and all that. But when did you get... Who gave you that book? Because I would imagine that's a book that was gifted to you, perhaps. And when did you read it? And what type of influence, I guess, for lack of a better word, yeah. did that book have on you? Yeah. So I have three older brothers. I'm the baby, baby bro. But my older brother, Andrew, actually gave me how to win friends and influence people. I think I was 16, 17 years old, right? And I feel like I, I got like such a cheat code in getting that, that book at that age. Because really what I take away from Carnegie is that to, to connect with people, be interested, be genuinely interested in what other people are interested in. It's pretty simple. And then it, it's like, it's simple things like smile when you see other people. It's, easy to to kind of like walk around and like be all focused about yourself and you know have your ear your ear pods in as you're walking about and going about your day but it's much more rewarding i feel like to to be connecting with other people like we're doing right now eric and it's amazing that you said your grandfather was really into dale carnegie because my grandfather was really into it too yeah he said he he went to a carnegie you know in-person session and you know he passed two years ago, but he's he was such an amazing influence in my life, and he embodied the Dale Carnegie mindset or mantra of being interested in other people. So, actually, one of my good buddies from college has my copy, but I'm I'm like he's he's up in Boston. I need him to send me my copy back because yeah. <laughs> that book truly helped me to really realize what it's all about. And it's about relationships. It's about connecting with other people. And I have a feeling that that we're this is kind of like part one for us, Eric, and kind of getting to know each other. And I hope that we can continue to like have this 
growth story together of saying, hey, like you love Carnegie, I love Carnegie too. You know, like, hey, you're into stoicism, I'm into stoicism too. Because the more we can put it out there, the more I think we can create value for other people. And that's, that's an amazing feeling. Yeah, it's well said, John. Your book, who should read your book? So they come across your book, you know, when they get, who should be paying attention and who should be going out to get your book? Okay, so three people that I had in mind, uh, everything's in threes, right? Yeah, so three of course. People that I had, three people that I had in mind when I wrote this book. One is a person who is spending money on sponsorship. You know, you're, you might be working for a brand, a company that is spending money in the sports entertainment industry on sponsorship. You should read the book. I would also love to get the book in the hands of professional athletes, musicians, entertainers, people who are on the town side, because I think there's a tremendous opportunity if you are in that situation for not only to do good, but also to make money with the ideas in the book. And third, if you're selling sponsorship, you're maybe working for a team, you're working for a league, you're, you're on the property side and you're selling sponsorship, I think this three-win mindset will really help you a lot, help you close deals, help you make friends with the community relations department. I think it's something that as a salesperson in sponsorship, you would love the book. And I'd love to speak with any of, of those three kinds of people who, who want to follow up once they've, once they've purchased the copy on amazon.com. Email me, reach out to me on on Twitter, all of that good stuff. I would love to have a follow-on conversation. Absolutely. Well, we'll put all that in the show notes. And I know it all comes in threes, but I would add two groups of people to that. I think anyone that is fascinated by a topic or even at least not even fascinated, if they're just interested in a topic, sports, marketing, something around there, that's someone who else should read this book. And I think the other person that could read it is... John, you put yourself out there. You took a chance. You said, I, you believe in something and you want to research it and you spent time and you studied it and you, and you put your words together and you put this book out there. You shipped it out there. There's a lot of people out there right now that are thinking if they should do this or not. Should they write a book? And it might have nothing to do with what it is you're talking about, but it's something else perhaps. They have an opportunity to follow in your footsteps to say, John did it. What did John do? What does it look like? What, what is his mindset related? Because you can listen to you talk right now. You know, what happened afterwards? It's, it's this opportunity, I think, that we have because you can get a book on Amazon. You can publish a podcast. You can write a blog. You can give presentations. You can do all... You can go to your, back to your college and give speeches there. There's a lot of things that you can do. And I think if you pay attention to what those people are doing, even if you just check out the book, skim through it, whatever it is, you get to follow or you get to watch what someone else is doing. Because I think we have an opportunity right now to put yourself out there by creating content. You put out a book, you're on a podcast doing all these different things. That's another group of people that should be paying attention to what it is that you're doing. And of course, the three groups of people that you mentioned, very specific to what it is that you're out there because you had them in mind when you even wrote the books. I think that's awesome. But John, I appreciate you spending the time with us to sharing the stories, the background. I'm sure there's a lot more to it. You probably hop on another podcast and and getting even to more depth and you know, go back farther. And, and you know, there's a lot of different things that we can do. So I do look forward to staying in touch with you. I look forward to consuming your content and having more conversations with you. But again, more than anything else, I appreciate the time that you spent with us today. And I hope we can continue to stay in touch. 
This is awesome, Eric. Thank you so much for having me on. One of my favorite things about our Sports Epreneur content platform is the opportunity to chat with amazing people in and around the world of sports. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you want to connect more, hit us up on Instagram at Sports Epreneur. Thank you for listening to this CadSource production, the Sports Epreneur podcast, the podcast where sports and entrepreneurship collide. Mm-hmm.